0: Good morning, everybody. Come on in if you're in the foyer, lobby, whatever we call that, space. Welcome to Theological Equipping. There's air conditioning in this room. I know a lot of people were nervous uh, because of last week when we had no air conditioning and we were all, I think we lost like an average of like six to 10 pounds worshiping the Lord. We were so invigorated, sweated a lot of it out, but we thought that's just a one-time thing, okay? So we're going to have an AC as much as we can help it for the rest of the time. Let me pray. There's no sign on the back that says, please sit towards the front. I wanted to test if you guys would remember that that's what we're doing. And we lost the sign and I didn't print another one. So here's what we'll do. I will pray with my eyes closed. And so there'll be no judgment coming from me for those of you that are in the back. You just make your way towards the front. I'll pretend like it never happened. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Uh, An opportunity again to uh, come together as your people to look at your scriptures and have our lives formed by them. Uh, Lord, we uh, would be aimless and destined for destruction uh, if we did what was right in our own eyes, but thankfully you've given us not just a king, you've given us the king of the universe uh, to come and lead us in the paths of righteousness, Uh, who's come and walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You've given us your eternal word, your son, and you've given us your written word in your scriptures so that we might uh, have a a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. I pray that as we continue to just think and reflect on and uh, look towards transformation for just how do we live this life as Christians? Uh, How do we that live in this vapor of a life, this moment that we have in the context of eternity. How do we live it for your glory? And so I pray today as we just look at the hope of planting churches, that you would, one, begin to stir in our hearts uh, a deep desire for the Great Commission and how we are meant to live as those on the other side of Jesus' words in Matthew 28, uh, and that just by your miraculous hand, Parkway would be faithful to that commission and would plant many churches. Uh, That there would be for decades, uh, perhaps centuries to come, worshiping gospel preaching congregations as a result of the lives in this room. Uh, And that your name would be glorified and praised in local churches planted from this church long after we're dead and gone. But your name will remain So those are huge prayers, but you are a huge God. And so we pray that you would do that and that today this little equipping teaching would actually play a key role in that, Father. So we we lay that at your feet and we ask that you do it in your son's name. Amen. Okay. So we have been walking through, in our Theological Equipping class, we've been walking through our, our new mission statement, essentially as a church, Parkway. Uh, w- what is the identity of Parkway? What's the DNA of Parkway? Our new mission statement is the Parkway Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who delight in Him, display His love to one another, and declare Him to the world. And so our, our, our Theological Equipping semester, as you know, if you've been here with us, is meant to hit those three main buckets delight, display, declare. And that those three D's, if you will, are meant to cover the main relationships of your life. Okay? So your relationship with God, one of delight. You you glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. You glorify him by enjoying him, by delighting in him. Your relationship with one another as the covenant, uh, as, as those you've covenanted together with in the local church, you display the love of Jesus to one another. And then that last piece, we declare Jesus, that wonderful, glorious son to the world. Your relationship to the world is one primarily of being on mission for the glory of Jesus' name. And so we've been attempting to walk through uh, those three Ds in order. We had some scheduling mishaps. That was my fault. Uh, So we're a little bit out of order, but today we're on Declare, specifically how to plant churches, how to plant churches. So yet last week, again, there was no air conditioning. We're going to record that. That was meant to be display. How do we be a community of prayer? I'll record that on Monday and we'll post that we meant to record it last week, but our air conditioning was still broken. Thankfully, it's on now. Uh, But today, we'll look at declare how to plant churches, which uh, you may be thinking is a weird one. You may be thinking, you know, isn't that the things you guys do and we support it whenever it happens? Like it feels a lot less possible for us to do today than perhaps how to make disciples. You can instantly apply that with the people next to you or how to evangelize. You can instantly apply that with your neighbors and things like that. But how to plant a church, you might think, we can't, can we plant a church today? Is that a thing? Uh, And so we might be thinking this is kind of out of place, but I think that would be a, a, a mistaken way to think. In fact, I think if, I think A, church planting starts today by with how we behave Today, And in fact, if we don't start today, we will never plant a church in the future. Similar to like getting your degree. You don't sit down day one, crank out 97 papers, get a diploma and finish it in a day. But the work you start day one matters as you work throughout the years towards the main goal, okay? So I want us to see how our day-to-day as we function as the Parkway Church can and must Lead to that ultimate goal of planting uh, churches. So, the three things you see in your notes, I got some pictures for you, by the way. You know, you looked bored last time. I was like, I need to, you know, pretty these notes up. Um, that's a joke. Uh, so, I got three things we're going to talk about today. Number one, why plant churches? Why do it? Why is this such a big deal? Is this just a trendy thing that, you know, just networks are doing nowadays? Why do we do it? Why it, should it be one of our main focuses? So, we're going to look at the biblical roots there. Number two, uh, why Parkway should plant churches. So just zoom in, make it very specific to us. And then number three, that practical how. How do we actually do it? Uh, if it's meant to start today, what should I be doing today in order to plant churches? So those would be our three things. Let's look at this first one. I'm gonna spend uh, maybe 50% of our time here because I want us to really see this. It's, it's very, very, very important in our day of trends when things become popular very quickly and fade away very quickly, you don't see church planting as just a modern trend. I want us to see the biblical roots of this and to spend some time here. And you may think, maybe you don't need to be convinced, you may be thinking, yeah, obviously, church planting, it's a good idea, okay? Of course, that's how we accomplish the Great Commission. But I think, just looking around at kind of our evangelical landscape, I don't think it is an obvious thing. In fact, I think the normal way we typically think when we talk about spreading the gospel, the gospel going forth, or the Great Commission being obeyed, I think we typically think missionaries do that. I like missionaries. Missionaries go do that awesome stuff. Or really skilled evangelists, extroverted people who just know how to debate and answer good questions, they're the ones actually advancing the gospel. Or maybe popular pastors do that. You know, Billy Graham or John Piper or Tim Keller, they're the ones who are out there actually spreading the gospel or maybe parachurch ministries. Young Life does that. Campus Crusade does that. That's how the gospel actually goes forth in campuses and in the streets and things like that. And in all those things, all the things are true, by the way, but notice what's absent in all those things. And what's often absent in our mind is the role of the local church. In fact, I would argue, I think we typically have those pretty strongly divided church is where we come and gather together and have our fellowship and have our programs and we do our stuff, but gospel advancement happens outside and maybe even apart from the church, again, through missionaries or through more capable people than us. So we typically don't see, I would argue, don't see the local church as intimately involved or perhaps what I'm going to argue primary to the spreading of the gospel. It would kind of be like, you know, being a cowboy fan, a very passionate one, but, you know, you don't play on the team. You have nothing to do with what's happening on the field or the win and loss record, but you will promote it. It's a good thing. Who doesn't love missionaries and who doesn't love Billy Graham? I I think those are often disconnected. I actually think that's a pretty common view. And so what I want to argue for the first part of kind of this teaching is I want to, in a sense, let the Bible kind of correct uh, what I what I perceive to be a wrong way of thinking. I want to let the Bible, as it always should, shape how we think about this subject, particularly how involved, how essential the local church is to the advancement of the gospel through planting churches. Okay, so let's look at that first section in your notes. When we open the Bible, uh, we see God's design. When we open, particularly the New Testament, I should say. God's design for accomplishing the Great Commission is through church planting, planting churches. And I imagine some of you may be thinking, hang on, there is zero commands of go therefore and plant churches. So, how can you make such a strong statement? Well, you're right about that. There is no command go therefore and plant churches. What is the command? Make disciples. Yeah, Matthew 28. We'll get there one day. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's right there. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So notice a couple things there. One, uh, it is actually impossible to obey that command without the local church. It's impossible to fully make disciples without the local church. You can make converts, shallow converts, without the local church, but that's not what the command is. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. So let me ask again, what are what would be elements of discipleship that would be impossible without Gathering in a local church, covenanting in a local church. What would be some of the things about that are essential to being made a disciple that you cannot do without a church? Corporate worship? Corporate worship. Communion. Communion? Preaching. Preaching? Sorry? Relationships. Relationships, yeah. One another's, fellowshipping, bearing one of those burdens. Right, who's that meant to be? It's meant to be the people in your church. Yeah, I would say the ordinances, uh, the Lord's table, as it was mentioned, baptizing uh, into a church. So there's several things. Even in the Great Commission itself, you can't submit to elders. Right, another command in the scriptures, essential to discipleship. If you're not a member of a local church and have no elders to submit to, right? If you just become a Christian and are floating around, like what are the, I mean, you could, I guess, semi-submit to whatever your are famous or favorite uh, podcasting pastor is, but that's not actually you know, the, the biblical command. And so, yeah, all those things are correct. There's several things. One another's might be the main one. How do you consider others better than yourself? How do you bear one another's burdens if there aren't one another's that you've covenanted with to bear their burden? How do you wash one another's feet if there's no one another's that you're gathered together in a local church with? So you, you cannot actually obey Jesus' words here without... The local church, without planting churches. Okay, so that's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing, which is perhaps more obvious, uh, let me just ask the question, when the disciples, the apostles, hear the Great Commission, they're sitting before Jesus in Matthew 28, how do they respond? Or how do they actually walk in obedience? Here's what I, I want to walk through, just the book of Acts for us. Okay, so disciples hear the Great Commission, Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 are converted and a church is planted. The church in Jerusalem is planted. Look at Acts 2. Here's a description of the believers who have gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And so there's the, there's the believers. Together we see the first church planted and we explicitly see, look there in Acts 11, I, we explicitly see that church called the church at Jerusalem. Okay, so it's very important for us to see Peter is not a Billy Graham who stands up, preaches, people walk the aisle, and then the story stops. He preaches, they cry out, what must we do to be saved? He says, Believe and be baptized. And they gathered together as a local church, submitting to the apostles' teaching, and we have the first church plant in Jerusalem, called specifically for the rest of the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem. Okay? Next, we see a church planted in the city of Antioch. Look at Acts 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, so Saul, Paul is persecuting the church, uh, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some men, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So there we see gospel being preached, people being converted. And then we see the story not stopping. What do we see next? Verse twenty-five. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and to, uh, to look for Saul, and when he had found him, brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. Uh, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. And so I'm emphasizing this. This may seem self-explanatory, but I do. Again, I think we often just view. Paul, Peter, these guys as kind of traveling evangelists, people get saved and we think job done. They did not think job done. They thought our commission is to make disciples and we need to plant churches in order for that to actually happen. And we see here the Luke, the author of Acts being very explicit. They preach, there's conversion, and then there's a church planted. We see next this church in Antioch sends Paul out Again, not to just generically preach to the crowd, have some souls converted, and move on. He is sent out to plant churches. Acts 13. Now there were in, Ant- uh, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they lay their hands on them and sent them off. So the church prays, they're sent off. I've got a, a missionary map there for you. It's Paul's first and second, uh, what's typically called first and second missionary journeys. Again, for the sake of this teaching, you can call them church planting journeys. And if you want to follow that line, uh, I forget what color it is because I don't have it here in my notes, but whatever the first missionary, you can see the little legend down there at the bottom, the first missionary line, we see Paul goes and preaches the gospel in different cities, in Cyprus, and Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, Lystra, and Derby. And then persecution causes him to flee. If we were reading Acts, we would see persecution. He's stoned at one point, and he keeps having to flee to the next city. So he's preached, people have been converted, and he's having to run for his life. Now, he could have just done that. I think in our normal way of thinking, we think, yeah, job done. He's a missionary, he's traveled, he's preached, people have been converted, and he's having to flee for his life. And notice, under the danger of persecution, in light of, quite literally, life-threatening persecution, what does Paul do? Does he just finally travel back to Antioch where it's safe? No. Look in Acts 14. As, again, his life as in danger, he makes sure he goes back through every city he's preached the gospel in, and he makes sure a church is established. He makes sure there's elders. He makes sure a church is there. Look at Acts 14. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. So they're facing persecution. They're encouraging them. But again, keep reading, it's not all they're doing and saying that through many tribulations, we must endure the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, one of the things that's actually nice about Billy Graham is he made sure, he would not go to a city unless the majority of the churches in that city were on board because he knew this, I'm gonna preach, people are gonna walk the aisle and if we stop there, We've not obeyed the Great Commission. These people must go into churches where they can submit to elders. They can be made disciples. They can obey all the commands of the scriptures. They can have one another's to serve and love and care for. Okay, so notice how important Paul, uh, this is to Paul. He's preached the gospel. People, converts have been made. Job is not done. He goes back through, even though these cities have just, one has stoned him, trying to stone him to death. And the others have, have run him off as well, yet he's making sure he appoints elders. Why? Because he's planting churches. He's not just preaching the gospel of the crowd. He's not just George Whitfield gathering a big crowd, preaching people being converted, and then he moves on. He's planting churches. We see that again in Titus 1. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul's letter to Titus is helping him establish churches helping him plant churches, okay? So that's his first missionary journey. We see it very explicitly in Acts 14. And then we see the same pattern in his second missionary journey. He goes to Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus. And what happens every time he writes a letter to those churches? How does he address it? I, Paul, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the church in Thessalonica, to the church in Corinth. Again, he's not just preaching to the crowd, he's planting churches, okay? So that, that is the biblical pattern we see throughout Acts. We can conclude, I think, pretty clearly that Jesus' great commission is not just a call to generically preach to the crowd and make converts, rather it's to make disciples through planting churches, okay? Tim Keller wrote in an article on church planting, virtually all of the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basic, basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. The Great Commission is a call not just to make disciples, but to baptize. In Acts and elsewhere, it is clear that baptism means incorporation into a worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. We see that in Acts 2. Uh, the only way to be truly sure you're increasing the number of Christians in a town is to increase the number of churches. Or let me say it another way. God's primary plan for the gospel advancing is to plant local churches. Church planting, if you want to say it this way, is God's mission's strategy. Okay. So in order for us to be on God's mission, in order for us to help the gospel go forth, I think church planting needs to be at the very core of what we do, because it really, really seems like it's at the very core of what the disciples are doing, of what the apostles are doing, of what Paul is making sure happens, of what makes Paul say, the job is not done until elders are appointed and churches are planted. Okay, so that's that's the kind of pattern we see in the scriptures. Now let's zoom in a little bit. What is a church in a city? What's the kind of role? Once a church is planted, what is the role of the church in that city? So Paul travels through Thessalonica, preaches the gospel, a church is planted. How is that church meant to function now? I've got several things there for you. So first of all, obviously, something we've already talked about, it's where uh, disciples, people are discipled uh, into Christ-like maturity. It's where the Uh, The new convert, what must I do to be saved? Learns, Matthew 28, all that Jesus has commanded. Make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded. The people crying out to Peter in Acts, what must I do to be saved? Do not know all that Christ has commanded. They just know I am a sinner standing under the wrath of a holy and just God and I need a savior. What must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, Peter And then we see in Acts 2, the actual growing discipleship. You're being baptized into a local church body. You're being formed by the word. You're hearing the gospel preached. Somebody said that, of what are elements of discipleship that you can't get without the local church. You're being formed by the word. You're being brought into a gospel community. You have people around you to call out sin, to rebuke you, to exhort you, to greet one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, right? All the the one another's we see in the scriptures, people around you to help you look more like Jesus, to help you be transformed into his image. So growing from a new convert into Christ-like maturity. The second thing we see is uh, the gathering, gathered worship was the first thing uh, somebody said, gathering disciples for Christian fellowship and worship. What we're gonna do today, corporately gathering together as the body of Christ, right? We're not just a hand, who lives in McKinney, detached from a body. We're a Christian, but we're just out there, have nothing to do with the local church, right? That would be an I sitting on the street, right? Rather, the body coming together for fellowship and corporate worship. Next thing we see, uh, the local church, as it's planted in a city, you could say this is Jonathan Lehman's language, the church stands kind of as an embassy of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven in a dark world, salt and light in a dark world. So, I mean, quite literally, what we're going to do today, what's going to happen today, though you are just going to see the same thing that happens every Sunday, heaven and earth overlap. God, the God of the universe, is going to call us to worship Him. We are going to sing praises as the temple of his Holy Spirit. We're going to hear from the living God through his word. We're going to respond in prayer again. We're going to sit at the table. We're going to get a taste of what will one day be our eternity, gathering together with the saints at the table of the living God, praising the slain lamb who has been slain for us, that we might know him and be adopted as the father's children. We are going to get today a taste of eternity. All that is is what uh, the church is as a city on a hill, an embassy of the kingdom. You get a taste of heaven. You get a taste of the worship of heaven. Every knee will one day bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You will one day see him, your faith will be turned to sight, and you will never grow tired of singing and praising his wonderful name. And the four songs we sing today are just a taste with the saints of what we will do with all the saints of all the ages for eternity see that? You see what I'm mentioning? That's what's going to happen as we gather and praise our king as an embassy of his kingdom. Another thing, very, very important, it puts deep gospel roots in a community. So I mentioned the church in Thessalonica. Look at this witness that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians. So Paul, in the second missionary journey, preaches the gospel in Thessalonica, plants a church. We get two letters to that church later in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So all the surrounding areas. So imagine he's writing this to McKinney. He's like, you're an example to Allen and Frisco and Plano. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything." for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we had among you and how you turned from God or sorry turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who des- who delivered us from the wrath to come so look at look at the witness of this church Paul plants it and Paul moves on Right? The missionary of the church moves on, but the gospel doesn't move on with him. Now there's a church established in this area, and the gospel is going forth from this church. The example of the faith is going forth from this church. To even the surrounding cities are looking and noticing and seeing. And so there is now a witness that is so strong that Paul apparently doesn't need to say anything. Paul's like, that area seems to be good. I can keep going south to Corinth, right? Because the gospel is going forth, from this church that has planted in this area. So that it's a witness to the city that you're planted in. And secondly, it is an enduring witness. It is an enduring witness in the city. So, one of the things that is very popular and just normal in our days that is very new is mega churches, massive, huge churches. Again, because we have things like social media and just really, really gifted. Preachers and speakers can become famous very quickly and their church is filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That's a very new trend for a lot of people. Unfortunately, that's the goal of ministry. When am I going to ascend to this level and get a book deal and things like that? So you have that, and then you have, say, 100 normal-sized churches, local churches. Which would you think would be better? 100 churches that have 100 people, maybe 50 people, maybe 20 people or the massive, can reach hundreds of thousands of people every weekend through podcasts and have 30,000 people in their building. Which one's better? Small, church. Small churches. I bet you guys knew that that was the right answer. So think about this. We've gotten to witness this. Churches explode, fame spread, and it dwindle just as quickly, if not faster, when the celebrity pastor dies or has a moral failure or something like that. It's not an enduring witness. It will be popular so long as the pastor is popular most of the time or so long as the pastor is moral. And when they fall or when they die, just because they get old, typically what the people came for, the fame, the entertainment or whatever, that isn't there anymore, they leave just as quickly. And this great massive thing turns out to have been a lot of mist, a lot of smoke versus... Churches that have deep roots in a community and have nothing flashy, but they have the glorious eternal gospel that God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. <coughs> Parkway, this church, is over 100 years old. It was planted as Foot Baptist Church when Dr. Foot started a church before McKinney incorporated this area of Foot. Those are deep roots in this community. This building was put here when everything around us was grass, was a field. And there has been a witness here for, again, decades and decades and decades and decades. They have been Christians, members of this church, whose names you and I will never know in the 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, who have been preaching the gospel and uh, been a witness to this community, again, for centuries We've never been flashy, to my knowledge. Maybe Dr. Foote was, you know, very popular in his day. But you see the radical difference between those two. An enduring witness in the city. That's why we plant churches, so that there can be not just a flash in the pan, not just a stadium filled as Billy Graham comes through and then moves on, but rather deep roots that continue to witness. Next one. Uh, A church evangelizes the city. Again, notice what's happening at Thessalonica. It's not Paul the all-star comes through, causes a lot of excitement and then leaves. It's rather Paul plants a church and the gospel keeps going out. The faith keeps getting spread. The, The city and the surrounding cities, Collin County, if you want to keep, stick with the analogy, continues to have a body of believers continually evangelizing to their neighbors, continually evangelizing in their workplaces. And then next we see A local church sends out disciples both far and near to continue planting churches. The planted church continues to plant churches. We see in in Romans 10, Paul describes, I won't read it, but it's there for you, how the gospel goes forth. You send someone, you send a preacher, like Paul was sent from Antioch to your Jerusalem, your Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and they preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and then we see in the pattern of Acts, churches are planted as a result. And I've got three pictures there in your notes. That is the first three centuries of the church. Obviously, it's not every little, uh, those, those yellow dots are, are, represent churches. Obviously, I didn't, those aren't 100% accurate, oh, there's a church in this area. But that, that, um, it's meant to show you how did the gospel spread uh, in the first three centuries of the church. So the, the apostles die and churches have been established. You see, in the first century and the second century, the gospel keeps going out. That, that seemed to be Paul's motivation. I want to preach the gospel where Christ has never been named. And so you see the the far element uh, of the known world, the gospel spreading. And then third century picture, something else happens. It gets very dense, right? You see, the, the gospel does keep going out, north, east, and west. Uh, but notice, there's also church plants right across the street. You see a lot of the yellow dots next to each other. That is, that is kind of how the churches uh, were planted throughout the first couple centuries. Century three, uh, there would be church plants in Allen. Again, stick with the analogy in Frisco. Whereas first two centuries, it was, let's reach Oklahoma. And let's, let's go to New York. And let's go to Mexico. And those sorts of things. And so you see how uh, local churches plant people far and near. Okay, plant churches far and near. Okay, so, so again, I've spent half our time there because I want the biblical roots of this to be very clear in our minds. Uh, I want us to see this, this is a very clear biblical pattern in the book of Acts. Now, shifting, point number two, let's ask the, the more specific question to us. So that's, that's why should we plant churches? It's biblical, right, to give the Sunday school answer. Second question, why should Parkway plant churches? So I'm going to zoom in a little bit and just ask us that same question. So again, point number one is everything we've been talking about up to this point. It it seems to be the very, very clear biblical pattern for accomplishing Jesus' words in Matthew 28. You make disciples, the gospel goes forth by planting churches where people can be baptized and people can grow from being shallow converts into disciples. Ed Stetzer, who's a famous missiologist, uh, says, when the apostles and disciples heard the Great Commission, we might consider Uh, What they did in response, they did not just evangelize, they congregationalized, which is a made-up word, but you get his point. When the disciples heard the Great Commission, they planted churches, so should we. Okay, so again, why? What's the most important and most obvious reason for why Parkway should plant churches? It is biblical, okay? Uh, I could go on and on about... The, the passionate reasons behind that. We want our King's glory radiating through McKinney and Collin County and as far as our witness can reach because He is infinitely glorious. He is infinitely worthy of every breath out of our mouths praising Him and every breath in these neighborhoods around our church praising Him. His beauty should be praised and will be praised for eternity by every tongue. Every knee in these neighborhoods and in this city will eventually hit the ground and praise the glorious name of Jesus. The ultimate motivation isn't just, it seems like a rule in the Bible. Let's do it, though that's true. The ultimate motivation for the declaring is the delighting. You have a king who is the infinite treasure and must be shared the only one who satisfies the longing of every heart and he's worthy. He is infinitely worthy. Every breath that does not praise him is a breath wasted. That is our motivation. It's a little bit deeper than because he said so, though he did say so, okay? So it is biblical. Our king is worthy of it. Number two, we should plant churches to reach the unreached. Again, this may seem uh, a little bit obvious, but I think it's important, uh, lest it be overlooked. One of my, my favorite professors uh, in seminary, uh, Donald Fairburn, Dr. Fairburn, would always say, uh, we assume the obvious things, and when you assume them, they immediately become secondary. And so when you think, we know that, all of a sudden, that thing, though it may be the most important thing, just goes into a secondary category, and becomes unimportant unintentionally. So we don't want to assume the obvious things. We want to reach the unreached. So two passages that I have for you there that I think uh, just show you the, the fuel to missions that election actually brings. When people learn about Reformed theology, they typically think, what's the point of missions? Uh, if God's already you know, chosen and appointed to salvation, Acts would say these two passages. When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel being preached in Acts 13, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So those that had been elect were saved, perhaps a more vivid picture of why we must plant churches and reach the unreached. Acts 28, Paul is in Corinth, he's very tired and discouraged. He's had to flee persecution from every town. And God comes to him and says this, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, go on preaching the gospel and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you uh, to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. I've got many in this city who have not heard the gospel yet, and they're my people. Go on preaching so that they might hear it, receive it in faith, and know me, and glorify me, and repent, and turn from their sin, and live in the life that is only in my Son. I have many people in this city. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why we need to reach the unreached because there's the unreached that has many people that are gods and need to hear the gospel. So again, secondly, we reach the unreached so that they can be discipled in a local church. Again, we are not about just making shallow converts and moving on. We're about obeying the Great Commission, making Disciples. Another reason uh, within reaching the unreached, why we should plant churches, statistically, uh, over the last 30 years, there have been so many denominational studies and just statistically, new churches reach the unreached far better than established churches. So again, I say statistically, I know that could be generic, but again, many studies over the last 30 years hone in. Uh, the average newly planted church gains about 60-ish percent of its members of its people from those who have, had, uh, have not been in church. So the people that don't go to church, coming into church, many of those are unbelievers or uh, people that just don't go to church. Newly, church, newly planted churches just gained about 60, honestly, some uh, estimates go as high as 80% of their people, of people who had previously not belonged in a church. Okay versus established churches churches that are 15 years old or older gain about 80 to 90% of their members from another congregation. Okay? And so that's not bad. Uh, but that is, I mean, that's been my experience here. Most of the people that join Parkway are coming from another church either because they've moved or they're looking for a church that they uh, think is more theologically solid or a church that preaches the scriptures. But they are, they are coming from another church, which is great. Praise the Lord for that. But notice, it's not necessarily uh, reaching the unreached. It's not necessarily reaching someone who's like, I don't worship King Jesus, I'm not a Christian, and that, those numbers are very high—80 to 90 percent. So planting churches just statistically reaches the unreached at a better rate. Uh, again, getting very practical. Uh, and then a huge need in our context—again, we're, we're asking the question: Why should Parkway plant churches? A huge need in our context is the planting of gospel preaching churches. Okay, so I want to—I want to be very careful in this section, uh, lest you know it, it appear like I'm saying. We're awesome, everybody else is terrible. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, But there are plenty of church buildings all over McKinney. Uh, You probably passed 17. That's probably an accurate estimate on the way here to this one. Uh, A church building does not equal the presence of the gospel being in a place, does not equal a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ because there are plenty of church buildings that preach a false gospel. Uh, on Sunday. It would be better for them not to exist. A a church that preaches the prosperity gospel is worse than no church because they're giving a false witness. They're quite literally turning people away from Jesus while making them think they're Christian. It is the most dangerous. How does the serpent tempt Eve? He doesn't just say, you should be an atheist, Eve. No, he just subtly twists uh, the words of God, subtly twists takes his character and and demeans it a little bit, and he's successful, right? And so a church building that preaches a false gospel is worse than no church at all. And again, I say this with humility, we've got plenty of those in McKinney. We've got plenty of those in McKinney. And so we're not talking about church buildings or buildings with a cross on it. We're talking about churches that preach the gospel on Sunday. Matt Rogers, who is a pastor, works for the Pillar Network, the Church Planting Network, says, planting churches isn't good enough the goal of the missionary task is to plant healthy, strong, and biblical churches. That's how they portray the manifold wisdom of God, establish a long-standing faithful witness to the gospel in our community. So, just just uh, breaking down McKinney by the numbers, we have about two hundred thousand people that live in McKinney. It's our population two hundred two thousand six hundred eighty-seven, I think, as of twenty twenty-two. I did a lot of this research uh, a couple of years ago, thinking about planting a church. Uh, so there's around 100 churches in McKinney. Uh, it's, it's between 97 and 102. But again, that's a couple years old. So maybe there's more, maybe there's less. Uh, and that's including every denomination. That's including Catholic churches, okay? Pentecostal, Methodist. Uh, that's just, in, in every church that would say, we are a Christian church, there's around 100. Now, if every member of those churches, or if every one of those churches had 500 people in them, we, three-fourths of McKinney still would not be reached, right? Because that would be 50,000 people. There's 200,000 people. And here's the painful reality. There's not 500 people in all of those 100 churches. And of those 100 churches, again, I did this uh, research a couple years ago. so it's maybe slightly dated. But as of four or three years ago, of those 100 churches in McKinney, the amount of churches that open the Bible on Sunday and preach from it, you want to know, you want to guess how many? How many would you think out of the 100? How many Pastors, when they gather on Sunday, open the scriptures to preach. Seven, and that's—I mean—that's just expository preaching. That has nothing to do with if they're egalitarian or reform. I mean, they could uh, mispreach the scriptures, but at least they're, they're starting up. We're not—we're not doing a series on movies and stuff like that. Again, that's a real example uh, of a church in this area. Okay, so so again, I'm—I'm I'm trying to be very humble. That's a problem. If you're a church and you don't hear from God on Sunday, that's a massive problem. So there aren't 500 members in every church. And of those 100, I would not encourage people to go to a lot of them because I don't think they're gonna be discipled. And so in our city, there is a massive need to plant churches, good gospel churches. And we'll talk about here in a second, the need is only increasing. Your city is exploding with growth. I don't know if you've noticed. And every city around your city is exploding with growth. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, I'll tell you some statistics in a second. So we need to plant good churches. Another reason we should plant churches, and I'll move a little bit quicker, for our own spiritual health. Uh, If we as a church value church planting and want this to happen so long as we have breath and the gospel going forth, it will prevent us from getting fat on our own resources. It will prevent us from saying, I've got my favorite seat. I've got my favorite pastor. I've got things the way I like them. Other people can go do the mission of multiplication of God, but I'm good. I'll support them with a thumbs up and a prayer or something like that. It prevents us from doing that, right? We can't just grow Parkway's kingdom, right? We have to be about the kingdom that we're a tiny little piece of. And so it actually will keep us healthy, remind us of the reality that we're soldiers uh, in the spiritual war of Heaven, right, it'll keep us in that Ephesians 6 mentality that we're on mission, that we're here for this much time before we go spend eternity with Him, and every breath is meant to praise Him and meant to declare Him. So it fights comfort and complacency. And then just the, the reality, again, statistically, planting new churches brings spiritual renewal to established churches because... Uh, One, you're just seeing God do incredible things. And so that actually stirs you to pray bigger prayers and those sorts of things. And then it causes you to self-examine. have we gotten complacent? Have we gotten uh, unhelpfully comfortable and just gotten in routines? Next thing, uh, to why should we plant churches? Here's all my stats. To take advantage of the time and place that God has placed us in. You do realize, don't you, that... God did not just do this and say, I'm gonna put them here in this place and at this time. Your sovereign God of the universe that knows every hair on your head and has seen every tear you've ever cried is very intentional about the age that you have been born in, the time in history you've been born in and the geographical area. You could have, in his wisdom, he could have had you be born in Alexandria in the third century and you would have fought the Arian controversy and that would have been what your mission is for. History uh, is happening now, right? He's put you here to fight the good fight now, and where he has placed you is uh, the fastest-growing county in America that needs a lot of good gospel-preaching churches, okay? And it's very intentional. Our God does not do things randomly, okay? So he's placed you here in McKinney, Texas. Let me just give you some statistics. Again, the time and place that he's put us in. McKinney, again, is around 200,000. Uh, our city council is predicting that by 2040, that will double in population. We will be 400,000 people, some estimates higher than that, half a million by 2050. So we're the fourth uh, fastest growing uh, city in the US. A lot of these uh, demographers, it, obviously difficult to predict trends, but so this is, there's always a range to these sorts of things. But regardless, that's significant. I have a picture there from uh, the city council's 2040 plan. McKinney's also going to almost double in geographical size. So right now, if you see 380, is cutting in the middle of that picture. I live just north of 380. Everything below my house is McKinney. Everything above my house is trees and cows. Uh, And according to that picture, everything above my house in 20 years will be more of McKinney. Right? So we're going to keep advancing geographically north, which again, only just aids the population. I moved in 2019, and I was surrounded by farmers, and now... Immediately south of my neighborhood is a 3,800 housing uh, uh, neighborhood that's putting in 3,800 houses, uh, and just north of me, there's apparently a bigger one developing. Again, just hundreds of thousands of people are moving here. Uh, that's McKinney. We're going to double in size. Collin County, perhaps even more shocking, we're about 1.1 million now. Some uh, are estimating uh, we're at, by 2050, we'll be 3.5 million uh, people. Some say higher than that, so... <laughs> Almost triple, more than triple in 30 years. Uh, will be bigger than Dallas. Collin County is the second fastest growing county in the U.S. Frisco is going to go. Uh, predictions from 200,000, which they are now, to 400,000 by 2040. Salina is at 36,000. Their city officials ha- are uh, released a statement a couple of years ago. They're they're preparing that when all is said and done, and they've grown geographically, they'll be at 400,000. Salina, town of 36,000. That was a town of like 10,000 a couple of years ago. Uh, so, yeah, and also, uh, Collin County is one of the fastest growing in diversity uh, in in uh, the nation. So, uh, again, very strategic. You preach the gospel on your street, and you could reach four different cultures. I mean, literally, uh, four different people groups, because uh, the area is exploding, not just in numbers, but in who is coming here. DFW, again, more shocking. Again, these are all just predictions based on what's been happening and what they think will happen. We're the fifth fastest growing metro area in the US. Demographers believe that DFW will reach 10 million people by the 2030s, surpassing Chicago as the third highest metro area, and many, I found several reports of this, many predict that by 2100, or whatever they're going to call that whenever they get there, we'll all be dead by then. Uh, But in the next 80 years, DFW will be the largest metro area in the U.S., bigger than New York, bigger than L.A. God has put you in a place where it seems like the world is moving, and there are not enough churches. There are not enough churches right now. There's certainly not enough churches for a billion people apparently moving here to preach the gospel. So why should we do it? It's biblical. Why must Parkway do it? God's put us here. Paul was very strategic about going to Philippi and about going to Ephesus and about going to Corinth. He's going to the New Yorks, to the L.A.s, so that he plants a church there and the gospel just naturally will spread more effectively, more efficiently, and it seems like God has put us here where our Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, our Plano, Frisco, Allen, McKinney, and even further seems to be just exploding with growth. The nations are coming here, as many missiologists say many, many uh, in seminary i read uh, one book a guy named David Bosch who rebuked we didn't go to the nations so God brought the nations to us again you cross the street and you just see who all is moving here so let's plant churches let's attempt to meet this growth outpace this growth uh, Christ Redeemer Church is a, a partner church of ours that we love uh, has just bought land just north of where I live they're surrounded by cows now they're going to be surrounded by Several thousand homes soon. And uh, as the nations come here, there's going to be a gospel witness waiting for them. There's going to be a gospel witness waiting for them. And so, we, I think, this needs to be not just something that we do as an obedience to scripture, but something we must do just based on the time and place that God has put us in. And then the final place of how, or final section of how do we do it? Again, I made the statement at the beginning this starts today. It has to start today or it will never happen. So what is it that starts today? I have these foundational elements first, catching the biblical vision. Again, if you, that's why I spent so much time on this. If you just think it's a rule that we should do, we probably won't do it or we'll begrudgingly do it or we won't be passionate about it. But if we see this as something that actually does spread the gospel as obedience to Matthew 28 and actually become consumed with that biblical vision, I think as the disciples did it and attempted to do it by God's grace and by God's power, we will as well. Spending time with Jesus, again, it seems self-explanatory, you'll hear me say often, the more your heart is full of love for him, the more you will just naturally overflow in telling others about him. You tell people your favorite restaurant, you tell people your favorite vacation spot because you love it and you just think it must be shared. When you think your child is the most beautiful child in the world, you force people to look at pictures of them. I force people to look at pictures of them because they are the most beautiful child in the world and their beauty must be shared, how much more, the fountain of all beauty. Spend time with him, you will evangelize. Spend time with him, you will have a growing passion to plant churches. Next, spend time with the lost. Spend time with people who do not know him. One of the things I'm always convicted by when I read missionary biographies is they can't sleep at night thinking about an island in the New Hebrides with no witness of Jesus Christ, destined for eternal damnation, with no one to preach. And John Patton can't sleep, and he leaves a fruitful ministry in Scotland and goes there and preaches the gospel. Or William Carey can't sleep at night when he sees how many people in India don't know him. And he must go. And there's this growing burden for those who do not know him. And so I'm just, to foster that, we we have to have that. I don't often have that. It's one of the things I'm most convicted by. You spend time with people who don't know him, that will grow, I promise. It will grow the more you spend time with people who don't know him. So that is, again, a foundational element. We will plant churches when we see the need to plant churches, that God has many people in this city that are his. Next, I'm skipping some quotes for the sake of time. Next, by discipling, uh, again, We don't just say, oh, good, we've got enough warm bodies. You know, the seats are full. I guess we can cut off, you know, half this church and go plant a church. That would be a terrible, unwise idea. But. If we are engaged in discipling, if we have a culture of discipling here as we pray for and just everyone's just growing and looking more like Jesus by God's grace because we're all trying to help each other look more like Jesus. And we just begin to have too many elders and too many people that are passionate about people knowing Jesus and people being more like Jesus. I can plant with that. We can plant with that. We're not just doing the cold, too many bodies. Let's make some room here. You know, we don't want to go to two services. Let's plant a church but rather letting the overflow of the fruit of discipleship plant churches. That starts today. Same with evangelizing. Again, people hearing of him, knowing him, coming to know him. That will overflow into church planting by praying. Again, we'll see when you listen to the recording uh, tomorrow of how to be a praying community. I, I similarly trace the book of Acts and how every single giant movement is preceded by a church begging God to move in power, and he does. They pray big prayers. Like William Carey says, they, they, they expect big things from God and they attempt great things for God. They pray big prayers. We can begin by praying. Pray for grandma's knee. Grandma's knee can be healed. Pray big, history-shaping prayers. Next, by living sacrificially, obviously giving sacrificially. We, saw, sacrificially, we saw this in Acts 2, they're sharing their resources, and then just being willing to lose comfort. You know, I won't read Jonathan Lehman's uh, quote there, but again, not saying, I can't wait for you guys to plant a church and I'm going to support you like crazy, but maybe thinking, uh, I, I might go. I think I might go and help another gospel witness be established so that others might come to know Jesus. And then when we plant, three final things. uh, By sending, by faithfully sending uh, people out. Again, we see this in Acts 13. By sending our best, not by sending our leftovers. By sending our best givers, by sending our most skilled leaders so that the church plant can be healthy, not by saying, we're set here. I guess we can shave off a couple of those people and put a nice gospel bow on it, right? That happens. It's a very sad thing, but it happens. I've, I've seen it happen. Uh, But notice in Acts 13, what happened? They sent Paul and Barnabas. They are sending their best to go plant churches. Uh, And then by uh, going, so by sending our best and then by going again, uh, being uncomfortable and going and setting up chairs in a middle school auditorium,